I um, was, I've been, it was really, uh, see I'm struggling even to articulate it now, with what to, what to preach on for these next few weeks leading up to Easter, just really seeking, Lord, where do you have us as a church, and what are you looking to do and say, and, and um, um, you know, from, from when I got here, we've been, that's every week I've told you before, I, I go, Lord, what do you want to t- say to your people from your word? That's the foundation. If you ever want to preach, there's question number one, okay, and then you go from there. And, uh, and I, I think God, at first it was just, it just, God was establishing who is here on chapel, who are we? You know, I believe in a local body. God calls you specifically to a local church for a purpose. And he has a specific purpose for us, you know. And, but he was kind of bringing us together, and there were some hurts, and there was healing that needed to happen. And I think there's still some that we're working through, and we praise God, but he's done a lot. And we've been seeing him bring people here and really settle in and go, yeah, this is where God's called me. And, and there's been forgiveness and healing, and we thank him for that. And then we've been stepping into, okay, Lord, what do you have for us? In this, this new normal, this post-COVID, this, you know, like, what, what, does, what does it mean to be here on Chapel Church here? What's your mission? You have, what, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> and that's kind of the question we've been asking. That should be the question. I, I've hesitated to call it a series because it seems like, like that's just the question we should always be asking as a church, right? But recognize that this is kind of a unique time kind of coming out of COVID and, and that. And, and so we're looking at at asking that question and we've looked at we know what the mission is that jesus gave us right this is kind of our paraphrase to make disciples we're disciples of jesus we make disciples it's that clear all right and and then how do we do that we talked about the foundation of being a disciple and and its relationship with jesus by the holy spirit obeying his word right that's that's the foundation for what it means to be a disciple and walking in that and uh and so just really kind of looking, okay, Lord, we've, we've talked about this. We have those. We have that knowledge up here, right? We, we, I don't think anything I've said over the last number of weeks was shocking. Like, what? Christians believe that? <laughs> You're supposed to love others? What? You know, it was like we know these things. And so as I was thinking, Lord, what do you... The, the phrase that kept coming back to my mind is, is provoke our hearts. You know, just that idea of, Lord, do we need to get it from our heads down to our hearts to really, to really focus in and so... I spent a bunch of time just reading. I know I said we were going to look in John and Acts, but, but, uh, and we're going to go back to John for the Easter time, and we're going to use John as the, as the passage as we go through the different Easter weeks leading up to Easter. But these few weeks leading up to that, I was just looking through and, and something that would refocus us, that would provoke our hearts. And, and so there's a few um, just one-off sermons, we'll call it, kind of with that idea. And this was, this was one of the ones that, I was reading that came to mind what Dirk read this morning and just focusing back on the message of the cross and this, the, the significance of the message that we carry, you know? And uh, for me, I, I, I stop sometimes and I just think and I just, I just start with just reality. You know, here, here I am, I'm a human being, I'm existing <laughs> here in this world. And it just reminds me that there's a God who created the world. There's a God who created me, every one of us. He created us unique. We know this as humans. He created us for relationship with him. Every human being uniquely designed by God and all the wonder and marvel of what it is to be human. I mean, just all the science and everything we have now, just keep diving and finding out more and more. And God's incredible 
design and make of, a, of, of the whole universe, you know? And then, but he created us for relationship with him. And like Dirk said, there's this hole. We know there's a hole that until we have relationship with him, he's the only one that can fill it. You know, and, and you look back at the history of the world, <laughs> from God's creation to his desire to have relationship to that fracture, that sin, what sin did when it was basically, sin is just us saying we want to be our own gods. We want to do it our way instead of God's way. You know, and that in the whole Old Testament is people trying to get back into relationship with God, trying to follow the rules perfectly and failing, right? And, but the whole time God's saying, I'm going to send a Savior. And, and then he makes the only way, the only way it could work, that God himself put on flesh and lived that perfect life, sinless life that we couldn't do, could never achieve that. And then he died and took the punishment that would have been eternal death for us, you know? He took that upon himself and gave us eternal life. And on top of that, all these blessings, the Holy Spirit, that this eternal life starts right now. You know, that's the gift he gave. That that eternal life can start right now by the Holy Spirit, and it just continues on into eternity. That relationship goes on, and it just gets so much greater, you know, when we, when we get to be with him fully. That's the message we carry, you know? And I just thought, what's more important than that? What could possibly in this life, I mean, that... It really is, when you break it down to that level, that's, that's the essence of what it means to be human. You know, and it's all based. Everything that it means to be is to be, what greater thing could there be than to be in relationship with the very God who designed and created that matches what I know to be true, you know? I'm just going, Lord, leading up to Easter, if we're going to be everything you want us to be as a church, if you're going to truly change us, we need to get this. We need to get it down into our hearts. And so we're going to look at this passage this morning. That's what this is all about. This is a letter that Paul wrote to, to the Corinthian church. And they had lost their focus, the Corinthian church. They were arguing and battling about, about worldly things. The, you know, the, their favorite teacher versus their other favorite teacher. And I was baptized by this one. Well, I, you know, and it's not that they'd abandoned their faith right? They were going to church. They were doing all the stuff we'll see later on this morning. We're going to read the communion passage. They were doing communion, but it was inward focused again. It was all about them. They completely lost the whole purpose of communion, what it was supposed to do to get our eyes on him in this message, right? That's the whole point of communion. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said, and they completely lost that focus. And so Paul comes and he, and he's, and he writes this and he looks to correct them. And this is this is how he starts that, right from chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The message of the cross, it's the gospel message. Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin. He, he, he solved that problem where you couldn't have relationship with God. He solved it. And it's only because he died on the cross and paid for our sin. And then rose again to prove it. And bring that eternal life. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. That's why it's not true. Like, our world, it is foolishness. When you look at how the world talks about them, we come and we say, look, this is is the the most important thing in life. There is a God. I mean, our our society is one of the first societies to even deny that, that most foundational thing. They don't even, much of our society doesn't even believe there's a God to start with. Even that's foolishness. But 
you know, when we come with this message that there is a God and He created you for a relationship with Him, and now He's provided a way to have relationship with Him. He's, he's taken care of that rebellion, that sin that you've done against Him. Uh, our society mocks that. That's, that's silly. It's fairy tales. It's a religious crutch, you know? Let alone the idea that you're going to be held accountable for your sin. You know, that there's a holy God. Not only does he love you and created you and wants relationship with you, but he's also just and he's holy. And there is every person's going to stand before him someday. And that's a true fact. And the world mocks that too. As Christians were ridiculed, mocked, in other countries, they're persecuted for it. That same message. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. I don't know with you, but it's, it's hard to look out and look at a world that's so hurting and, and think, we know what the solution is. And they're trying to fill that void, trying to fill that void with so many things that only lead to worse, right? They're trying to find happiness and temporary pleasures just, and you're going, I'm telling you, that's, God has a way. That's not the way. You need Jesus. We know he's the solution. He's the only thing that can fill that void. It's the very power of God for us. We've, those of us who have experienced what it means to be born again, to have the Holy Spirit, and just like, like the scales fell off our eyes, you know? And all of a sudden to have the light come, and all of a sudden God makes sense of everything. That gospel message, that cross message is what makes sense of life. You know, now all of a sudden we understand what all that God gave us is for, from food to pleasure to relationships. All those things come, make sense now in the light of the gospel. But as the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the, intelli- and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers and the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Isn't that the truth? I mean, we look at, we, we live in a, in a society, in an age where we believe like that we're the most advanced culture that's ever existed, you know, to this point. And in some ways, technologically in that, we've, 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 we're more advanced than any culture for sure, right? And we can, there's things we can do that no other culture, you can get on a plane and fly to anywhere in the world. We can talk to anybody right now, anywhere in the world. We have more information available to us on our, in our phones and that instantly. Anything you want to know, Google it. You know, that kind of thing. That's the society we live in. And yet, at the same time, we live in a society that, that trumpets truth and false and what's right, true and what's false information and all that kind of stuff. At the same time, is defining truth is subjective and we can each have our own, you know? It trumpets morality, and this is the right thing to be fighting for with no foundation for morality. There is no God. There's no right and wrong. You're, nothing, you're no more different than a banana. You know, you're just a random bunch of... Hmm. When we talk about what it means to be human, the reality of, of this human life and what God created us for, our world can no longer define what a human is. It can't define when life starts as a human. 
one of the most things like with all the medical science that we have now. It's only in the last few decades that we now know that when a baby's the size of a small bean, it's only because of modern medical science we know that that baby the size of a small bean has a, a fully functional cardiovascular system, a heart pumping blood, a brain that is functioning, and a nervous system that's working. You know, at 10 weeks, a baby has fingerprints. It's the size of a big grape. It has its own fingerprints, its own DNA, its own blood type. You know, by every measure of life, and yet, no, we've only gone further from recognizing what it even means to have life as a human. It's the foolishness of the world. The further our society gets from the foundations that God has given, the more foolish, really, the wisdom of the world is. And since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. There's, there's, we can't, God has made it, that. that's why it takes faith. You'll never be able to find all the answers for why you exist by only looking at what you've created. That's, that's what really an idol is. You know, when, when, when they talk about an idol is something made with it, why did, why did all those old religions we read about in the Bible, all those different cultures, why did they make an idol? Why did the Israelites do it? Why did they make the calf, you know? And it's because they, they want to see something. They want, to, they want something physical to be able to go, yeah, that's the God that led us out of Egypt. There it is. Look at it, right? We, we need, it's like, we, it takes faith to believe, no, there's a God who created everything, but I can't see him. And the world mocks us for that. But for those who would be willing to accept that there is something more than we, what I can see or measure or put in a test tube, you know, and, and check with science, there's something more. There has to be something greater. It's the power of those. It's used, that's the, used to save those who believe. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's Romans ten seventeen. I just thought of that, that, that this, in order to be saved, this message of the cross, it only happens if you ever hear it. And Jesus' design was that we, the church, would be the ones to proclaim that message. Now, I've said before, Jesus could have written it in the sky. He could have showed up on your everybody's 12th birthday in a dream and said, hey, here's the gospel. Let me explain it to you. But he gave it to the church. And he said, this is the message. I want you to go tell all the nations here to the ends of the earth. Let them all know. <clears throat> Salvation only comes when someone's willing by faith to believe that there is a God who created them for relationship and who has made a way to have relationship through Jesus' death on the cross. But that's not what the world wants to hear. It says it's foolishness to the Jews. That just, just think of that as the religious category who ask for signs from heaven. And it's also foolish to the Greeks. Think of that as the non-religious, the secular category who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, religious are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Seen that, right? That, that religious category, this message of the cross, that there is a God who created you for relationship, and you've rebelled against him. Your sin has separated you from that holy God, and he is perfectly holy, and he is perfectly just, and he can't allow any amount of sin in his presence, and he is going to judge you for some, someday for that. 
and it's by his rules and his criteria because he's God. That message is offensive. And it's offensive to religious people, right? People who are maybe in our day and age, they might just call themselves spiritual. It might be people who have called themselves a Christian but don't have a relationship with God, have never surrendered their lives. He's not Lord, master of their lives. See, religious people, they want, they want to believe in something. They know there's something more than what the physical. They'll acknowledge that. Yeah, there's a void, but I, I want to dictate the terms. Uh, I want a God that makes me rich and healthy, and if he doesn't, then I'm not going to believe in him. Or I want a God that just does crazy stuff. I always want some spectacle. This is probably the most prevalent one. Or a God that, that um, I get to pick and choose what I think is right and wrong. When it comes to really hard things and it comes to going counter to what the culture says and that, oh, maybe it's God, when God comes and tells me that something I like doing, that I shouldn't be doing it. No, I want to be able to have a, I'll believe, I'll say I believe in God, but, but uh, I kind of want to pick and choose what I'm actually going to follow. You know, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says, I am who I am. We're to come into submission, full surrender to whatever he says. Give him full control over our lives. That's what the relationship looks like. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And this same message of the cross is also its foolishness to the, to the non-religious, to our secular world. How can you believe in a God you can't see? How can you believe that he, what he actually hears, you actually think he hears you, there's some being up there that hears you when you pray? Oh, and he talks to you and you can hear him and he can lead you? That sounds like a fairy tale. Do you, you really believe there's a heaven? You know, the world pictures it as it's Philly cheese commercial. People on harps on a cloud, you know? Why would you obey all those rules, ruin your fun? Hell's a party. I'm on the highway and I'm going to sing about it. You know, that's the world we live in. There's this message of the cross that there is a God and you are going to stand before him. we live in a in a culture where a lot of what I'm saying to you I don't know how that's resonating with you like probably a lot of things we know and and I guess what's been grieving my heart a little bit as I've looked at just our site is there's there's a whole lot of people who mock the world for that I mean, some of that, the world's wisdom is pretty foolish right now. And it's not getting any better. And you can find all kinds of people who are pointing out just how absurd <laughs> and illogical it really is. You know? But that's not the point of what, I wanna, what I'm trying to do here this morning. Because that's the world that Jesus came to die for. That's the world. That's, the, that's what they're understanding that's the 
That's the, how they've been blinded. That's how they've been deceived, right? That's the reality of what the devil has done to deceive the very people Jesus has told us to reach. Huh? Like, that's the world we're called to. When we've talked about this mission that God says, go out and make disciples, it's people who believe that stuff. Right? That's what they've been, they're, they're wrestling with. And those people have a real history. They have real hurts. This is a hard, life isn't easy, you know? And they've got a history and, and, and they've been hurt and offended and, and, and God yet has called us to go out and to love them. And it's not easy. I wish it was easy. I wish we could just go, hey, look at here's the message of the gospel. And everybody went, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, oh, thanks. Um, but so often, that's not seems to be the way it works. Mm-hmm. But God's plan for salvation Oh, it's frozen. You get it back there, George? Thanks, buddy. Um, this message of, of salvation. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, both the religious and the non-religious, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God, this is the foolish plan of God, that's from the world's viewpoint, is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest human strength. What he's saying is, is, is this plan, this, this salvation message, it's really the only way it could work. You look at all the other religions, just the very sin nature of humans, we, we want to do it ourselves. We want to achieve it somehow. We want to be the ones in control. From the very beginning, we want to be our own God. Right? And so every other religion is some way of achieving, some way of, we, we want to figure it out ourselves, understand ourselves, we need to do all these actions. We want to feel like we achieved and we were good enough, made ourselves good enough for this. But we know at the same time as humans, we know we can never achieve that. We can never be good enough, right? If we, if to, to uh, God to uh, accept us, right? To really, we know that. Unless we change who God is and yeah, he's okay with some stuff. Reduce him from what he really is. So God's plan that God had to be the one. He's the only one that could perfectly pay that price pay that debt, right? That's why this plan that sounds so foolish is really the wisest plan and the only plan that would ever work. And in God's weakness, that's because Jesus came down and he took on this weak flesh. That was God's weakness. You know, for Jesus to put on this weak, he born to a poor family, you know, took on the weakness of the human life, so frail, and yet, it was the greatest strength because he was able to die in our place. So remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things, of the, wor- the, things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. 
You think of what the world holds up as the most, the, the ideal, you know, what we should all strive for, the celebrity, the rich and famous, right, that the world holds so high. Yet their lives are absolute train wrecks. That's why the tabloids stay in business, right? And when Jesus came, he didn't go, God didn't come and like pick out the most powerful, influential people in the world, the most Twitter followers, you know, that's not what he did in order to get the gospel out. That would make sense in our human minds. You know, if you want to get the gospel out to the most people, get the most powerful people in the world, convert those ones first, you know, and then that's how we would do it. That's not how God did it. Christianity has always thrived in the anybody, the everybody, right? Whoever comes to me, and it starts, and he does it through that personal relationship. You love God and you love others. And so for us, that's, That's that place where God has put you. You know, we've talked about how do you make disciples. It's not about being, being wise enough and getting, a, and getting a degree so that you can teach certain things. All you got to do is just lead them to Jesus. That's what he's asking you to do, right? Where he's placed you, wherever he's put you, as you're going about life, make disciples. Point them to Jesus. This is good news for us as a church. It's not dependent on a certain level of knowledge, level of knowledge or ability or how well you can speak or how good you are at convincing somebody or debating. We don't have to have an answer ready for every single in an argument that defeats every single one of the world's wisdom, right? No, we need to point them to Jesus. It doesn't mean you don't look into those things, you don't gain knowledge and that, right? But we know you're never going to be able to debate somebody into salvation. It's never going to happen, Right? The foundation is the message of the cross. God chose the things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Like Doug often has, has said, salvation is the greatest miracle ever. You know, we often want to see the miracles that often end up being temporary. And I love miracles. I love seeing God answer prayer in our human life. But the greatest miracle, the one that lasts for eternity, is salvation. And it is a miracle. It's not something we can make happen on our own. We're absolutely dependent on God, the Holy Spirit, to do a work. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only in the Lord. We just remember our own journey. If you're a Christian here, you know, it's Jesus who saved you. It was his death that paid for your sin. Nothing you did. You just received it freely by grace. Now that he's given you the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that, sh that opens your eyes to understand the scriptures, to, to reveal that truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And so he's the one that gives you the truth to live by. And then on top of that, as you go throughout the day, this mission that he's given us, it's only the Holy Spirit that will give us those nudges that can lead us. We get on it. We can make a pretty big mess of things when we try and do it on our own. But he gave us the Holy Spirit to go and to lead us in every interaction, to be listening. Lord, what do you want us to do? And so what can we do as a church? 
that foundation. That's the world in which we live. That's, the, that's the, what our culture, our world believes. That's the wisdom of the world that they have. Without God, that's where it ends up. That's what they're going to live by. What choice do they have, right? Without acknowledging and knowing who God is and knowing the path to have a relationship with him. Well, let's, we're just going to look at these five verses from chapter 2 and Paul's, kind of, Paul's example. 2.1, when I came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. You think of Paul. Paul was the top student of the best rabbi in all of Israel before his conversion. Right? So he was brilliant. He, he knew the Old Testament, probably one of the best possible people that could debate. And he did debate. We have a record of him debating and talking to all kinds of religious and non-religious. But, but the point was, wasn't that he, he was going to debate them into salvation. He knew that the foundation of it all was Christ, the one who was crucified. So our call as disciples is to invite people to follow Jesus. And this is just kind of our paraphrase of Matthew 28. As you're going about life, be disciple makers. Wherever he's placed you, remember God, God in his sovereignty, he put you in your workplace. That wasn't a mistake. He placed you where you go to school. Placed you with the neighbors you have. If he's calling you to this church, he's called you to this church. And we're here for a reason in this community. None of it was an accident to be disciple makers. And what do we do? We invite them to follow that's, that's that initial gospel message, the hearing of the gospel, Romans, right? Come and, come and hear this message of salvation this way and then inviting them to obey it and to, to find out the life that Jesus desires everyone to have. Verse 3, this one's just... Paul says, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. The Apostle Paul, why was, why was he weak and trembling? Most versions would say in fear and trembling, right? Fear of God and trembling. Why, why was he so fearful? What was he trembling for? I'll wait for an answer on this one. I have to drink water. Any ideas? Why, was, why did he come in fear and trembling? Amen. That's exactly it. Paul recognized Paul, the Apostle Paul. Probably, if we did the human thing and wanted to rate who the greatest missionary and preacher of Christianity was, he'd be near the top, right? <laughs> Paul, the Apostle Paul, knew, despite the fact that he, he's the Apostle Paul, that there is nothing he could do to actually change a human heart. He knew that the only chance he had was a message, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you'd trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. He knew he had no chance to, to actually change someone's heart. It was only by the power of the Holy Spirit that anyone was ever going to change. I 
And so let's be doers of the word. Just to finish it off here based on that last couple verses we looked at there. Um, we want this to sink down into our hearts. We want to we focus. We want this message that really is the most important thing that anybody will ever hear. Getting to have a relationship with God. There's no greater thing in this life. And we really want that to happen. Where do we start? Well, it starts, we start and we can pray for the Holy Spirit to work in our own lives, our personal lives. And so we repent of any sin that's hindering. That's from, from Hebrews. You know, the sin that so easily entangles. If there's anything that's, that's hindering you from being used by God, that's what sin does. Sin slows us down, holds us back. Repent of any sin that's hindering. Ask God to help you to overcome that. Bring in a brother or sister, you know, someone you can trust. Don't do it alone. Don't struggle alone to overcome those things. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to prune you. Are you willing to pray that prayer? Lord, I I want to bear more fruit. I want to. I'm willing to maybe have to give up something or to step into something or to do something. If you reveal it to me, I'll obey. And we pray to the Holy Spirit that we would learn to be more sensitive to his voice. And we talked last week. I don't know if anybody try anything. Anybody have a a better prayer week this week? Did anybody put into practice maybe just something, a more intentional time? Or maybe somebody prayed with their spouse this week? Anybody take any steps in prayer? That's where it starts, right? That's what we talked about last week. We have to be intentional. We have to learn to, to how does the Holy Spirit speak? And when you, so you seek, you listen. When, when he speaks to you, right? Then you go out and you obey it. And that's how you learn how he speaks. And I'm sure you can all think of someone you know that is just has such an incredible relationship with God. I just want you to think of the most most spirit-filled person you know. Isn't it marvelous? They just seem to just have this ability. It just comes so easy for them just to, they always have the right thing to say at the right moment. And I just think, how does that happen? And, and, uh, and usually every time it's always been like, well, it took years. It didn't. <laughs> it took years of seeking and listening and learning how the Holy Spirit speaks. And so we pray for the Holy Spirit to work in us. And then we pray for the Holy Spirit, Spirit to work powerfully through us. In the lives of our kids and our family, those we love. That's why we've encouraged you. I, you guys make that list with those names. Are you praying for people by name? Who it is, who is it, wherever God has placed you, who is it that God is asking you to disciple? And you're praying, God, give me an opportunity. I want to share this message of the cross. I can see their life. And man, I, I, they could only grasp and know this message, if they'd only receive you, you know, I can just see the path they're headed on or that they are on. If they only knew, they only tried it your way, right? God, give me a chance just to be a little bit of a light, to speak some of your truth into their life. And then what's so exciting is when he does it, then you're going with that ear open and, okay, Holy Spirit, and he gives you the chance and you say something. That's how God answers prayer. And we've heard some of those stories lately, but we want more, don't we? Pray for the Holy Spirit to soften hearts that are hard and open blind eyes. 
There's some people that might be on your list for a long time. I know a lot of you, um, one of the things is I was looking just for the evidence of God's hand and God's work in our church. What's he doing? A number of you that um, are parents with older adult kids that aren't following the Lord and just seeing that God seems to be stirring that in you again and just a new renewed concentration and praying for that 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 kid and so i encourage you to keep doing that and i know that's a sensitive one so we'll take where we get the word eucharist right which is it's another word for communion or the lord's supper and just that picture that simple picture that the that communion is thanks thanking god thanking jesus for what he did for us and so we're going to do that today um calvin's going to come up and and uh play just while um, we get the elements. So um, if you want to come up the middle, so you'll start at the front and you come up, grab the elements, and then go around the sides back to your seat and uh, just hold on to the elements. And uh, we'll, uh, once everybody's back seated, um, we'll read a passage, a couple of verses, and then we'll partake them together. Okay.